Oh my God, I'm chilling. What happened? Oh my God. Oh, I just can't. What? Hello, everyone. How's my sound? That's good, I think. I just moved, guys, yesterday. I moved to a new house in Greenville, South Carolina. What up? Rebecca is on the move. Uh-huh. And it was a hectic one. And so I don't know how the sound is. I don't know how my new office is doing. I have the carpet down. I have pillows behind my computer. I'm wearing a big, giant, puffy jacket. So, you know, <laughs> just sound absorbent stuff. I haven't showered in four days. I haven't slept in four days. Yeah. I'm excited to be shower. here. Glad to be here. And yeah. it's my story today. So I hope it's good. But bear with me if it's not. Come on. Don't let it define us. Yeah, come on. Don't be so judgmental. I saw that listener blasted us on her big screen watching YouTube. And I'm like, oh, my God, we need to start wearing makeup, Rach. <laughs> but here I am, four days unshowered, unclean. But my jacket's yeah. pretty cute, so I hope it's distracting you from my face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that, too. I was like, all right, I can start throwing on makeup every once in a while while we record. But I haven't yet. I'll get there. <laughs> yeah, we'll I'm, get there. I'm in the midst of redoing my office too. So my background will be real cute soon. God, people not on YouTube. Don't give a shit. Anyway. They do not care. Anyway, this story was recommended by a listener, but it was actually already on our list of cases to do to cover. So I decided to go ahead and do it. Today, I am telling y'all about Tanya Cash. Sources are People Magazine Investigates, ABCnews.com, CourthouseNews.com, and Crime Library. I did, this listener who suggested it is from McKeedsport, uh, Pennsylvania, where the story takes place. I did just ask her a last minute quick question. So hopefully she gets back to me before the end of this episode, but we'll see. Hmm. Tanya Nicole Cash was born in 1981 in Mahat. Mm. Mm. Uh-uh. You were just practicing that. <laughs> I was just practicing how to pronounce this town. Damn it. Managahila? Managahila? Oh, yeah, that sounds like what you were saying when I came on here. Monongahela, Pennsylvania. It's a pretty sleepy town, small, less than 10,000 people. It's about 45 minutes outside of Pittsburgh. Her parents, Sherry and Jerry, <laughs> were high school oh. sweethearts, and Tanya was their only child. He worked as a union butcher, and she worked at McDonald's, and they, they had a pretty decent life. By the time Tanya was 12, she had been to Disney World three times. No. My, my nightmare. That's a lot of times. For some people, that's not. Some people go all the time. I've never been. That is a good life for a kid. It's a great life. Jerry said growing up, Tanya wanted to know everything about everything. She, his happiest moments are thinking about the joy she had when they would go travel or go exploring. So kind of, it sounds like he would do like the tomboy stuff while her mom, Sherry, did the girly things like go shopping. They loved makeup, shit like that. And for the first seven to eight years of her life, it seemed Tanya had a very normal and happy family life. Then Jerry and Sherry's marriage started falling apart. Jerry got a bad case of pneumonia that put him out of work and into the hospital for a long time. So money was really tight. And Sherry started having affairs with various men, supposedly for money. And she would leave Tanya home alone all the time. So Jerry would come home pissed. They would argue, et cetera. And this just became a regular routine. Then sadly, some switch flipped in Sherry. And she was all of a sudden very abusive towards Tanya. Like one day, seemingly out of nowhere, she even pulled a knife on her. Like oh, it was, wow. Yeah. She also once set the coffee table on fire in their house. 
So it sounds like her mental health was kind of declining. Yeah. So when Tanya was 11 or 12, Jerry said enough is enough and decided to file for divorce. And he was granted full custody. But this affected Tanya very much, obviously. She did oh not God. want to see her mom and dad get divorced. At the same time, she was scared of her mom. So it's likely for the best. But she just wanted things to be back the way they were. Soon after this, Jerry meets a woman uh, named Joanne through a dating service, and he and Tanya moved 30 minutes away to McKeedsport, Pennsylvania, to live with Joanne and have a fresh start. McKeedsport, according to my sources, was a, a little dangerous, high unemployment rate, and wasn't a cute little suburb at all in the 90s, at least. It might be today. I don't know. I'm so, I know we have one listener from there. I'm not trying to insult anyone. Take it up with my source documents. <laughs> Tanya is 13 years old at this point and is having a very hard time adapting. The moment she started at Cornell Middle School, she hated it because 13 is a terrible time to be a new student. Oh, yeah. Kids picked on her. She got suspended for fighting, so she got grounded. Therefore, she started resenting her dad for uprooting her life. And on top of that, he and Joanne got married, and Tanya doesn't really get along with her. So now she has a new stepmom she doesn't like who is also punishing her. Yeah, I mean, that's tough. Yeah, for as mouthy as we were in our early teenage years, could you imagine if mom were our stepmom? <laughs> that oh wouldn't my have flown. God, no way. I mean, for such a drastic life change you didn't want, acting out seems pretty par for the course, let's face it. Very standard teenage stuff. And with this teenage angst, Tanya started drinking and smoking. She even runs away a few times, hiding out at various parts of town or staying with a few friends, the few friends she did have. But she usually came home within a couple hours. I think maybe the longest she was gone was for a full day. There was one time she ran away and didn't have anywhere else to go. So she called her dad, but he nor Joanne answered. So she called her aunt who sent her husband to pick her up. And when they were in the car, he started talking about how he pays for sex. I know. Even he, he says that he paid Sherry, Tanya's mother, oh. for a blowjob once. He then, told Tanya yes. this? Yeah. Then he told her. That this he is her used, uncle. This is her uncle. Okay. Then he told her that he used to masturbate to a picture of her. Her being what? Tanya. She's 13? She's, yes. <gasps> and he pulled Ew. off the, and then he pulled off the road. And she told him she did not feel the same way about him and asked her, him to please drive her home. And he did. And she ran inside to the safety of her dad's arms. But I don't think she ever told him. How creepy is that? Ew. February 10th, 1996, Jerry and Joanne woke up and it was one of those days. They found 14-year-old Tanya is gone. They found her pajama pants on the stairs going down to the basement and her duffel bag was gone. Oh, God. Joanne gets in the car and starts driving to look for her but didn't have any luck. Then a day passes. Then another. Then another. And after four days, Jerry is officially freaking out. He knows this is no longer teenage rebellion, so he calls the police to make a report but because he's done this before, they don't take it too seriously. He's filed a yeah. report in the past when she's run away, only to cancel it a few hours later. So, But she's never gone four days before. I was obviously. about to say, four days, though, is far too long. Right. And a town that they themselves deemed as seedy. Yeah. Then Tanya's grandmother came across a piece of paper with a phone number on it that Tanya had written down the last time she was over there visiting. So she decides to call the number, and a woman named Judy Sokol answered. She's a hairdresser in town who Tanya knows, so they ask the police to go over there. And they go talk to her, and Judy admits that the last time Tanya ran away, which was December of 1995, about three months before she went missing, 
Judy let her stay there, but she hasn't seen her since she left to go home. A week goes by without any leads, so Jerry and Joanne start snooping around in Tanya's room looking for clues, which honestly, I can't believe it took them a week. I would do that. Oh, yeah. Day of. Yeah. And in the top drawer of her dresser, there is a note in a guy's handwriting propositioning Tanya for oral sex. Wait, wait, uh-huh. wait, wait. What it did goes, it, do we know what it said? No. Like, I mean, what, what note are you getting passed in school? Well, you'll see. Will you give me a blowjob? Right. No. no you'll Circle see. yes or no. Check yes or no. They initially didn't know who wrote it, but Joanne remembered shortly before her disappearance, their na- neighbor, Kevin Churchfield, asked Tanya to babysit for his family regularly. And she had mentioned to Joanne that one of those times they went out to eat. And Joanne's like, oh, the whole family did? And Tanya says, no, it was just the two of us. And Joanne told her, that's weird. You shouldn't have gone with him. And Jerry's always had a bad vibe from Kevin. So he calls the police and tells them that they found this note and they suspect it's from their creepy ass neighbor. And to Jerry and Joanne's surprise, police tell them, oh, your suspicion is probably spot on because Tanya actually already reported Kevin Churchfield to us two months ago. Wait, on her own? Yeah. Oh, he did something worse than dinner. Mm. Uh Uh-oh. Apparently, Kevin always propositioned Tanya for oral sex every time she babysat for them, but she never told her dad or Joanne because she felt babysitting for a pervert was better than being home with them. Oh. But she did eventually tell a police officer at school that Kevin made her touch his penis and he went with her to the police station to file a report. Oh my God. What is protocol for a minor taking a report like that? Surely now... They have to call the parents. She's 14 years old at this point. I don't know. But this was all news to them. And they are pissed. They were never notified. Reasonably. I mean, my 14-year-old is molested and reports it's police. You call me. Yeah. There's no cop, victim, confidentiality for a minor. Come on. You have to tell her parents. There can't be. No, you got to tell the parents. And if if she reported that months, a couple months before, she probably babysat for him after the fact, too. Yeah. I'm sure her dad would have loved to know that he probably should have gone over there with her and beat the shit out of them. Right. Out of them. Tanya doesn't show up. It's just Jerry. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm here to babysit. I'm here to and babysit. pound your face in. <laughs> right. Kevin was charged with this, but Tanya didn't show up to court. So all the claims <gasps> were dropped and he walks. I want to beat that guy's ass. McKeesport police bring him in for questioning, which after a week, when they knew day one that Tanya had a report out on Kevin Churchfield, that should, like, I can't believe that took a week. It speaks volumes about how seriously they took this. Yeah, that should have been step number one when she was reported missing is go talk to the creepy neighbor that they already know about. They already know about, and Jerry and Joanne didn't. They just got a bad vibe, and they called the police. They had to yeah. bring it to their attention, and the police then said, oh, yeah, we already know about him. He is creepy. He molested your daughter, pretty much. That is so effed. But Churchfield agreed to take a lie detector test. And the first question was, did you kill Tanya Cash? And he laughs and says no. Then the cops are like, oh, shit. Maybe she isn't a runaway. Maybe there's some foul play here. Sure. Look who just woke up. (laughs) I mean, she's 14 and it's been a week, a week plus. And there's a suspect who has a clear motive. She didn't show up at court. And all the charges were dropped against him. Come on. Well, that's not a motive. He's probably amped. What do you mean? A motive to get her out of the picture so she cannot show up at court. Uh, 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 okay. Churchfield did confess that 
to having a sexual relationship with her, but says he did not abduct her or kill her. So they search his home, they don't find anything, and they can't even charge him for it with the sex crime because Tanya needs to resurface to confirm this is true. So again, what? he's off the hook. I'm like, can't what? or won't? You can't charge him or you won't charge him? I guess that the, can't be true. The victim has to be there to testify. It's like the Megan Lindowski episode. Yes. Yeah. The dad's best friend was sexually abusing her and she couldn't, she wasn't at court because she was, had been murdered. So all charges got dropped. So six months goes by and all leads have stopped. Jerry doesn't know what to do. So he just drives around at night, hoping to see her walking down the street. He just drives aimlessly. What else can you do? Oh God. Then Joanne discovers a diary Tanya had hidden in her room and has a lock on it, which she obviously busts open. And it's your standard teenage diary, you know, I love boys, fuck my parents, <laughs> blah, blah, Yay. blah. Yay. Yeah, can't wait for my period. Ah. Yeah. Typical stuff. Uh, but there is a recurring name in it, Tom. And it's clear she's interested in this Tom because there are hearts all over his name. They also found an entry about Tom and Judy Sokol, the woman, that the hairdresser that police went ahead and questioned. Judy and Tom clearly know each other, so the police go back to Judy's house, and they're all, who's Tom? And she tells them, it's likely Tom Hose, a 38-year-old security guard at Cornell Middle School. She said Tanya had a crush on him and even wrote him a love letter. If you need a visual, he has a Freddie Mercury vibe going on, voluminous hair, stash to match, and Tanya uh -huh. thought he was dreamy. Uh-huh. They found out that he lives with his parents, so they go there to question him, and he confirms she did write him a love letter, but he promptly reported it and turned it into the school. Investigators check with the school and they confirm that's true. So he too is ruled out as a suspect. Years go by and police no longer contact Jerry or Joanne. The leads have died down and the cashers feel like they just want to put the file away and be done with it. Then two and a half years later in July of 1998, an electric worker found a decomposing body, pants around the ankles, lying face down in a local cemetery. They could Ooh, tell it oh was a female. God. I know, the creepiest. Oh, I didn't know that part. Mm -hmm. They could tell it was a female, but decomposition had already taken place, so they couldn't tell, they couldn't immediately identify her. And everyone, including Jerry and Joanne, was certain it was Tanya. But through dental records, they determined it was actually another 14-year-old, Kimberly Krim. Oh, no. Kimberly was walking to the store on June 30th, 1998, when she disappeared and her body was found six days later. There were signs of sexual assault, but they were unable to de determine a cause of death. This discovery made police think back on another murder from 1995 before Tanya went missing. 16-year-old oh. Anne Marie Callahan was found near a river by some fishermen. She had an extension cord around her neck and her wrists were bound with duct tape. And the most creepy... Flowers were placed in her hand. Ew. Mm -hmm. DNA was lifted from the duct tape and put into CODIS, but there wasn't a match. But these two victims, plus Tanya, were all between the ages of 14 and 16 years old and all went to Cornell Middle School. So wait, in I, this small town, three girls in the same school yes. go missing and murdered. The question of the listener was, how many people are her grade at Cornell Middle School? And she is, she's younger than Tanya. She was, I think, in fourth grade when all this happened. But she said, first of all, Cornell is gone. It's now called Twin Rivers Middle School. And I would say about 20 to 25 students. No. 20 to, again, she is younger than Tanya. But I'm like, 
are you? So I apologize, everyone, for saying it was dangerous. <laughs> um, Three no, middle schoolers were victims in the night. That is a small class, 20 to 25 people. So out of roughly 75 to 100, assuming they weren't even in the same grade, three girls were missing at one point, two of, two of which are now found murdered. Like, mm -hmm. no, I'm going to, sorry. Maybe it is different now, but yes, that is dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it's a dangerous ass town. So by 1998, after finding Kimberly Crumb's body, they thought maybe they had a serial killer on their hands and it reignited interest in Tanya's story because she's the only one whose body hasn't been found. So nearly three years later, police enlist the help of the Center of Missing Exploited Children to do an age progression picture of her, and it's blasted all over the United States. Her picture was on over 400 million milk cartons throughout the next few years. Oh, my God. But in early 2000s, leads go cold again for all three victims. And once again, police stop contacting Jerry and Joanne and its crickets for six years. Gosh, six more. Six more right. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In 10 years after Tanya went missing, her father finally accepted that she's not coming back. Then on March 21st, 2006, police got a call from someone that told them to go to Tom Hose's house. Remember, this is the security guard at Cornell Middle School who police ruled out. So a cop goes there and knocks on the door and a woman answers and the detective stares at her and asks, are you Tanya Cash? And she turns to Tom and says, it's over and walks out with the detective. Oh, I got chills. <laughs> I know this story. And that's still, whoa, that good delivery there. Okay. Yay. Good. I'm so glad. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy for Tanya. I know. She had been held captive by Tom Hose for the past decade. And let me just give you a little tidbit. The school thought so highly of him as their head security guard. They celebrated Tom Hose Day in 1999 and presented him with a plaque. He had Tanya held captive when he accepted this award. <gasps> oh, they're How like, crazy. yay, you're keeping the kids safe. Here's exactly. A Meanwhile, there's a missing girl that made national news locked in your house and had been for three years by that point. He accepted that reward in 1999. Mm -mm. Crazy. Mm -mm. Jerry gets a phone call from the police telling him, we have Tanya in the back of our car alive. And he at first thought it was oh. a joke, like a cruel joke. Because people are I assholes mean, and they do that. I know. Oh, God. Heartbreaking. She's in the police station and she hears her dad's voice for the first time in 10 years. She runs, collapses into his arms, and they both start sobbing. Oh. He takes her back to him and Joanne's house where their tears continued, obviously. And the following day, Tanya goes back to the police station with Jerry and Joanne by her side to tell her story. In 1996, when Tanya started school at Cornell, Tom approached her to welcome her as the new student and saw she had no friends, saw that she was having a hard time. So he would take her out of class to check in on her. And as a 14-year-old getting picked on in a new school, an older man who seemingly cares about your well-being is going to be welcomed by a vulnerable hormonal teen, obviously you unaware of what grooming looks like. Right. You mispronounced he preyed on her. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he saw that she had no friends. She was new and he preyed on her. Is sure. What really happened. Sure. In the grand scheme of things, we see that. But as a vulnerable sure. owner, 14 year old, she sees it as good intentions and she is drawn to him. She developed a crush. Mm -hmm. 
So one day she was skipping class and he called her, but agreed not to tell anyone. And that's when he kissed her for the first time. A 38-year-old man kissing a 14-year-old child. Disgusting. Repulsive. After that, he told her that she should run away and be with him, that he loved her, that he could take care of her better than her parents could, which that right there, you're, you say you're going to fill the parent role in my life oh, yeah. all while having a relationship with me. Like, ew, get out of here. Gross. And again, being 14, she believed him. He really struck while the iron was hot. Again, very vulnerable. She uh, was very resentful towards her dad and stepmom that she was the perfect victim. Yeah. So February of 1996, it was his plan that she followed. He helped her sneak out that night. He took her to Judy Sokol's house. When she got there, Judy told her that she wanted to give her a makeover. And again, being in eighth grade, she's excited. She says, sure. So Judy cut and dyed her hair. (gasps) Wow, Judy. In cahoots? Yeah. During those early days, Tanya stayed with Judy and Tom would come over every day after work and Tanya felt loved and cared for. So she was happy. But in a matter of weeks, everything changed. Tom got Tanya really drunk one night and she lost her virginity to him. Oh, God. And she felt horrible about herself. She really, she always said she wanted to save herself from marriage. So she was very obviously distraught, cried over it, the whole thing. And I know I don't need to tell y'all this, but obviously that's not consensual. She cannot give consent. Drunk, sober, ever. 14-year-olds cannot give their consent. This is, of course, rape. And I'm sure deep down she knew that because this is when she really questioned why she ran away. She regretted it, but he told her if she left, her parents would be pissed. She would be in so much trouble and no one wanted her. No one was even looking for her and she doesn't know any better. She clearly isn't allowed to watch the news and it really puts the fear in her. So she stayed. Eventually, Judy Sokol was sick of having them there. Uh, Sorry, Judy. Right. I'm going to go out on the limb and say Judy did watch the news. And when the case started picking up, she... Was She didn't want to aid in bed any longer. Her, she was over it. Probably once the cops came knocking on her door, she was like, ooh, mm. maybe this captivity thing is... Not for me. Not for me. I don't want to be in trouble. I should have thought this through. Right. So Tom packed up Tanya's stuff and moved her to his parents' house. Because remember, he still lives with mommy and daddy. He snuck her up to his room. And at this point, she's desperate to go home. But the manipulation turned into threats. You'll be in trouble if you leave no longer worked on Tanya. She didn't care if she was in trouble. So it turned into, I will kill you and your entire family if you leave. God. He also said if she woke up his own parents, he would smother her in her sleep. He made very specific threats like that. So I would, that would scare me more than just, I'll kill you. It's like, he's thought about it. He's planning it. He's, He's capable. Sure. So he made it clear that if she murmured a peep, there would be hell to pay. So she's scared. She's intimidated. She just cooperates. And she was forced to live in that room for four long years, all while his elderly parents had no idea. Like, how? She was locked in there all day and all night. She had a bucket for a bathroom. The same bucket was used to brush her teeth at night. Gross. She was a prisoner and quickly became his sex slave. He raped her every single day, multiple times a day, before he went to work, after he got home, before bed, every day. She remembers the day he came home and told her they found Kimberly Crumb's body. She had been living there for a few years at this point, and she was shocked because obviously they were classmates, and she asked how she died, and he told her she was murdered, and then he folded his arms and said, we all knew that was coming. Did we? What? We saw the murder of a 14-year-old girl coming? 
Uh, well, if he's responsible, then yeah. Right. So Tane is like, okay, holy shit, he killed her. And even more suspicious, that cemetery she was found in is right across the street from Tom's house. What? Yeah. He could technically see her body from the window. <gasps> and they do investigate him for Kimberly Crumb's murder. We'll get there, peeps. Okay. So the idea of him potentially being responsible of this really piqued Tanya's fear of her captor and knowing how terrified she was, he was confident that he had complete control now. So confident that in March 2000, he surprises her by letting her step outside for the first time in four years. He told her she was no longer Tanya Cash. She was Nikki Allen, Nikki Diane Allen. He gave her some money to go to Ames department store to run an errand for him. And she's actually very scared. She literally hasn't seen another person or this son in four years. She's probably so nervous to interact with people. Oh my God. She runs the errand and promptly comes back and he's waiting for her by the door to sneak her back in. And mind you, her dad only lives a mile and a half away, but she's so brainwashed and so psychologically damaged. She doesn't even think to go there. It did not even occur to her. Where are his parents when he's sneaking her in and out? They're really old. And now this asshole is very cocky. His complete control was reassured when she successfully ran that errand. So he becomes co comfortable allowing her from time to time to leave. And he even introduces her to his parents as his girlfriend, Nikki. Obviously not telling them that she's been living at their house this entire time. Oh. By the end of 2005, she even has a weekly allowance and has become a regular at the corner store, JJ's Deli Mart. No one recognized her. The case had been long cold at this point. So sadly, no one's probably thinking about it except her family. And she wasn't allowed to watch the news. She doesn't, she doesn't even know what big of a deal this was. Oh, my God. She became good friends with the owners of JJ's, Joe Sparico and his wife and their daughter. And because she hung out there all the time, they eventually offered her a job. At this point, she is 23 years old and Tom was 46 or 47. And Joe and his wife looked at who they thought was Nikki as part of the family and would even question her relationship, saying stuff like, why are you with a dude twice your age? And never sat right with them, particularly with Joe. He thought it was weird and he didn't do much to hide it, his opinion. Oh, good. Go, Joe. Tanya brushed it off, but really started to observe Joe and his wife and saw what a normal relationship and life could look like. And she realized how bad she wanted that. It really opened her eyes about how far this had gone and how trapped she was. And it weighed on her very heavily. Then March 20th, 2006, just over her 10-year anniversary of when she was kidnapped, she was in the store with Joe. No one else was there. It was just them. And she bursts into tears. He asks her oh what's God. wrong. And she looks at him and says, my real name is Tanya Nicole Cash. And blood rushes from his face. <gasps> sits there in shock. I cannot imagine what's going on in his head. He's just staring at her in disbelief and then goes, I'll handle it. <gasps> Yo! Yo! Yeah. See, I knew that part too, but again, chills. Gosh. And guys, look, to my knowledge, Joe has never done a video interview. I've never heard him speak. But if you're not picturing Al Pacino saying, <laughs> I'll handle it, and then lifting it. up his pant leg to pull out a gun from his boot, cock it, and walk out the door, then I'm not sure where your head is. You're not paying yeah. attention. <laughs> you're not paying, you're not listening to the story. No. Because in my mind, Joe Sparico, he's a guy, he's a wise guy. And I know. I'll handle it. Last episode, we laughed at Susie, assuming anyone with an Italian last name is in the mob. 
And of course, I actually don't think that Joe is, but when he says I'll handle it after being told a horrendous story from a very dangerous man, your uh -huh. mind wanders, you know? I hope so. And I picture the same thing. Yeah. I got it. But in reality, he does not pull out a gun. He doesn't walk out the door. He tells Tanya to go home, act normal, keep the exact same routine. And when someone knocks on the door, it will be the police. <gasps> oh, God. Good Joe. I know. Another person I want to hug. I know. So she does it. And she's in Tom's living room, making sure she's the closest one to the door when, it, when she hears that knock. And within minutes, police are there. And that's when she opens the door. Uh, a free a woman after 10 long years. Holy shit. They start investigating Tanya's story to build a case against Tom. Casey White was in the child abuse unit. Bless you, my God. And said that he was the most deviant predator the DA's office has ever encountered. They get a search warrant and find 31 date books detailing Tanya's captivity, including rapes and sex acts he forced on her. He made her track it so that he could use it as bragging rights to his friend about his new girlfriend, Nikki. Are you kidding? No. So he would present this to his friend, like, see, she journaled it. Right. What? Which is disgusting, but also perfect because it's all the evidence they need right. to arrest him. Fucking idiot. A Not only arrest people. him, but Judy Sokol too. Thank God. He was charged with statutory sexual assault, three counts of in involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, two counts of indecent assault, and one count each of endangering the welfare of a child, corruption of a minor, interference with custody of a ch child, and aggravated indecent assault. You will Where's notice. Kidnapping? Yep. You oh. will notice. I did not say kidnapping in that list because he was not charged with kidnapping since she willingly went. This does She's not make sense to me. Kid. I know. Just like not being able to consent to sex, children should not be able to consent to sneaking out when you're in cahoots with an adult. And yeah, had she snuck out and just wanted to roam the neighborhood for a little while and someone came up next to her and snatched her in a car, that would be kidnapping. Sure. But just because she went willingly to someone's house, right? then and, that can't be kidnapping. He held her hostage, that's kidnapping. And like, had she snuck out completely on her own, went to his house voluntarily, knocked on the door, he didn't see it coming, I can almost kind of see how they would make that argument in the 90s. But when it was his plan and his instructions she followed, no, that's kidnapping. Like, I mean, I don't, that wouldn't happen today. There's no way. Oh, no, absolutely not. And I'm sure that's what he's telling the cops. Mm -hmm. She, he wasn't involved at all. She, she came over completely on her own. But the moment she resurfaces after a decade with a new name and a bucket for a bathroom, you take her word over his all day, yeah. every day. That's it. Yeah. Ugh. I hate him. Right. So as Tanya is trying to adapt to being free and back home with her dad and Joanne, they start to kind of turn on her. Oh, I know. According to Joanne, they believed her at first, but once the dust settled, they started looking at the big picture and they don't think things add up. And they think she could have left at any time if she really wanted to. Her dad is even in this People Magazine Investigates episode and says he would like to hear Tom's side of the story. Gross. Are you serious? You do? You want to hear from the predator who raped your child? That right. is bizarre. You want to hear him out? Yeah. You're no way. I know. I, see, I knew that I hated them. I know. So he and Joanne will say shit to her like, well, you're the one who voluntarily left. One like, more for the dumbasses in the back. She was 14. <laughs> 14. 14 years old. Groomed. 
And look, again, I will play devil's advocate for you. I can see back then these older people who likely aren't well-versed on the effects of brainwashing and psychological, the psychological damage that captors have on victims may have that reaction. I mean, it's hard to wrap your mind around. I get that. But they still think this. They, these uh, yeah. interviews were conducted in 2023. So these comments yeah. they made were like yesterday. Even when the cops back then, back in 2006, it's, tell them, no, Stockholm Syndrome is a thing. She's a victim. They don't buy it. But they're so sick. I know. And this causes other people to scrutinize her, too. So it's so no. unfair. So unfair. Tanya, we know you're the victim. We know. Everyone knows. So on top of Tanya's case, cops were also investigating him for the murder of Kimberly Crum and Anna Marie Callahan. It's just too weird that he preyed on one girl from that school and then randomly two more get murdered. But you're telling me no further connection was ever found to this day. Anne Marie Callahan and Kimberly Crum's cases are unsolved and police say all the leads have been exhausted and it now rests on someone coming forward. So sad. What? And even more tragic, 21 years later in 2019, Kimberly Crum's niece, Morgan Dunstan, was murdered in Pittsburgh. What? She was 18 years old and was going to a post-prom party and stopped somewhere in South Pittsburgh. And while in the parking lot, shots were fired and she was struck in the back of the head. Whoa. Sadly, this too is unsolved. So Kimberly's mom and sister have to deal with two unsolved murders in their family. The fuck? Mm-hmm. Judy Sokol obviously helped Tom out and allowed them to have sex in her house knowing Tanya was only 14 years old. So she's charged with statutory sexual assault, involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, indecent assault, and corruption of a minor. And she's sentenced six to 23 months. No. I couldn't find when, where, how much time she served. Okay. So, I mean. Two no. years at the latest. Not a lot. Not even. Yeah. yeah, not a lot. No. Tom Hose tried to stab himself before his first trial, so they had to push it back. And on May 14, 2007, he accepts a deal and pleads guilty and is sentenced to five to 15 years. What? Uh-huh. His attorney said it was a huge win for his mentally ill client. Shut up. Oh, shut the f- How insensitive. Can you imagine? What a win. We get this predator back on the street in just a short 15 years. At the he, most. Could at be the five. Most. Yeah, it could be. What a but, win. Yeah. Like, I'm, I want to punch that guy in the throat. He does serve I'm not as violent full... as I sound. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Just yeah. against some people and those who are the worst. Rach is all big and strong behind her computer. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. He does end up serving the full 15 years. We'll get there. Don't worry. But there was so much damage from the sexual assault and decade of captivity that Tanya had to have a hysterectomy. <gasps> she has arthritis in her back because she didn't grow properly from being confined to a room for so long. She had to have a colostomy bag for a year, chronic migraines, nightmares, not to mention time loss and innocence completely ripped away from her. Oh my God, for sure. She later wrote a book called Memoir of a Milk Carton Kid, which Jerry said completely severed any hope of, from them having a relationship. Excuse me? Why? Because she told the truth about you and what yes. you say to her? Yeah. Because you're a piece of shit? Yeah. Yeah. Bye-bye. Big loss. He does say that she's still his daughter, Therefore, he does still have feelings for her. Notice, no. does not say love, which is hard Well, to I don't care. like a dad Ooh, saying you have feelings for your daughter. <laughs> I know. Anyway. That's how he says it. Ooh, but also just... says if he could give any parental advice, which no one's well, asking. no one's asking. No one's asking. <laughs> but he said it would be to pay attention to your kids, be there for them, and help them. 
So there's Agree, that. dog. Agree. Look in the mirror, Jerry. Jerry. February 2022, Tom Hose is released from prison after 15 years, and he moves back in the same house he held Tanya captive in. Ew. Ew. Wait, his parents are gone, I guess. I'm sure they're gone now. And so how did he still have it? Oh, gross. I guess when they died and they leave it to your son. I don't know. If you, I don't know. I don't know how that works if they're in prison. Whatever. Today, Tanya lives 15 minutes from him. And says so she's terrified at the thought of running into him. I cannot imagine. She's married now with stepchildren. So I bet it's terrifying for all of them at the thought of seeing this monster. Wait, this is a small town. I know. It's like crazy. 15 I'm minutes from him. Dizzy. I know. And that is the heartbreaking story of Tanya Nicole Cash. Tanya, you are a survivor, you're a badass, and she has a Lifetime movie deal because we did that story, a brief story on TikTok mm -hmm. of, of Tanya's story. And she, and she commented on it. Commented, um, and a lot of people responded. And right after that, it came out that she has a Lifetime deal, and like then people are going back and forth being like, congratulations, you're a badass, blah, blah, blah. So oh, good job. Good job, Tanya, if you're listening. Ooh, that I hate that they live 15 minutes apart. I know. And that he only got 15 years. Oh, that, of course. That goes without saying. Judy, too. Come on. Two? I know. I know. Where's, where's that bitch? Is she back in, the, in time? I don't know. I couldn't find her whereabouts. I hope she moved away, changed her name, learned her lesson. I don't know. Oh, Lord. Patron shout-outs. Tanya, Mara, Sarah, Betsy, Barbara, Paige, and Johnny. Welcome. Oh. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much for joining. Y'all are the tits. I have two custom shout outs. One from Cheryl, who says it's to her son, Hunter. The Air Force may take you far away, but I will always be one phone call or one plane ride close. Love always, your proud mama. I saw that. That is so sweet. I want to, I just love it. And wait, what's her son's name? Hunter. Hunter. Hey, Hunter. Good for you. You're killing it. You're killing it. Give your mom a big hug. Yeah. And the other one's from Kylie. She's an author and is thinking about writing her next novel with a bit of crime element. She said we inspired her, which I love that. I'm here that for that, Kylie. So nice. But this shout out is for her second novel, Come and Get It, which will be published on January 30th. Obviously, that means it's out now. So y'all go get oh, it. Oh, yeah. Available wherever books are sold. It's based uh, on a dorm at the University of Arkansas. There's no crime oh. on it, but she said there's a lots of bad behavior. Ooh, I, I love this. Okay, wait. What? Is, say her full name so I we can like Google the the actual book. Kylie Reed. It's Kylie Reed's book. R E I D. Kylie Reed. That is so great. Again, it's called Come and Get It. So go and get it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There you go. Now this is on a whim. Now that you just said that. But speaking of Kylie, our friend Kylie, who we went to college with. Her son was just diagnosed with a very rare form of leukemia and needs perfect matched bone marrow. So they're in Atlanta, but anyone can see if they're a match. Um, I did it. It's really easy. You just go to be the match, Google it. They send you a swab. It's all free. You wipe your, the inside of your cheeks, send it back. Easy. Already stamped. Already stamped. We're good to go. Yeah. It's very easy. And you go, uh, they sort in a database and you're contacted if you're a match for someone. But he this needs sweet, it. He's only he's two, two year old, years old. Sterling needs it desperately. So if y'all are willing, y'all go check out Be The Match. I think it's be the match.org. Yeah. Yeah. Be the match.org. Go check it out. 
swab your cheek. That's all you have to do. And then potentially save a baby's life. Many, several out there. So, all right, good one. Yeah, I'm glad we did that. Thanks everyone. You are the best. People are the worst. Bye. Bye.